right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. We don't got time for that. Alright? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross! Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk, but not just another edition, the edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk after KU wins a bowl game. Because this is the first time I have ever, as a host, co-host, in any relation with the show, been able to come in here the next day and talk about KU winning a bowl game. And that's pretty cool. He's Nick Springer. Bang. I'm Eric Johnson. Bang. Yeah. Bang, bang, bang. Uh, we're brought wait, to you wait, by 21st Street Brewery. Wait, wait, yes. wait, 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 wait. Personal foul. <laughs> oh. Personal foul. I'm going to say roughness. 15-yard penalty. What did I do? Re- re- reset. Reset. We got to replay you don't it. don't get to see the replay? We, we got to reset the down. Oh, we got to reset the open. We got we to okay. go back. Sorry. Okay. Well, that's unfortunate. Uh, we'll be on the lookout for those throughout the show, because uh, certainly, I don't know, uh, you might have had nightmares last night about uh, the officiating. <laughs> we'll get into that over the course of the show. It's it's all dedicated today to KU football and the guaranteed rate bowl and recapping the game. Um, we'll get to our KU football takeaways. We got our KU football UNLV heroes and villains segment coming up at 5 o'clock hour, but got audio to get to from Lance Leipold, Duluth Grimm. Uh, Jason Bean, Podium Audio, Jayhawk Radio Network interview audio. Henry Greenstein's going to also join us at 340 here of KUSports.com to break down the game, which he was at uh, last night. So let's just start here. A, just a quick recap of what happened last night. KU wins 49-36. to it was, it was the lead-up to the game was weird, too, because <laughs> KU entered as a, I, I think when the first line came out, like it was like 13, 13 and a half, 14, 12, maybe? Yeah, 12, 12 13, 14. Half, yeah. Double-digit points, uh, two-score game is what they're favored at. And then all of a sudden, the line started moving. When when I did the KU uh, football game picks yesterday, which which Nick submitted as well, the line we, we got on was minus 10. And then it so dropped it to moved. like 7. Yes, it dropped to like 7, 7.5. I think it closed, eventually bounced up a little more, back to like 8. But either way, it was very different. So all that happens. Yeah. And yeah. then th- there were rumors before the game like, is Jason Bean sick? Are other players going to opt out? And, and I don't know that there was ever, like, I, I don't think that was ever going to be something where, oh, are, are other players going to opt out or not play? I think people were just looking for reasons of why is the line moving like this? <laughs> And then uh, Pete Thamel reports that Devin Neal's coming back for 2024, which um, I I don't know. I, I don't want to fully get into that yet because it's kind of odd that it hasn't been confirmed yet. Uh, maybe it will be. Who knows what's going on there. But then uh, UNLV starts hot. They go down. Yep. They score right away. Yep. It's 7 nothing, and you're like, uh-oh, what's going on here? Um, KU dominates the rest of the half. UNLV then comes back with a couple turnovers, yep. a barrage of flags on both teams, <laughs> including a, a mainly, billion personal fouls. Mainly on Kansas. Though. Mainly Kansas. Which, by the way, we didn't even get to see like 80% of them because the broadcast wouldn't show anything. Unbelievable. And then in the fourth quarter, it felt like UNLV got like five straight penalties on them, which is my theory <laughs> of if this thing was rigged, going back to the, or attempted to be rigged, going back to the line moving that much for a team from Vegas who's being investigated for some weird betting stuff that happened in one of their other games against New Mexico currently right now that is being investigated. Wow. Um, if we're going to go tinfoil hat, 
then maybe they were like, oh, crap, it's 49-30. We made this thing look really fishy when we gave Kansas 200 penalty yards. We better start calling them for some penalties. Anyway, neither here nor there. Uh, KU gets a huge stop. Then you have a 99-yard. I mean, really, to you me, the two, game boiled down. You have down a 98-yard drive and a 99-yard drive. Yeah, and, and that's that's what it boiled down to to me. It really boiled down to those three big drives. One was on defense, two were on offense. The first was the 98-yard drive. You're down 7 nothing. You have the ball at your own two-yard line. You go down 98 yards. You score, uh, make it 7 uh, a piece, and then you, you dominate the rest of the first half. Second half, it was 28-24. Jason Bean throws his third and final interception. They have the ball starting at your, like, 35, something like that, yard line. They very easily could have taken the lead or at least got a field goal, made it 28-27. Very first play, Kobe Bryant, corner blitz, yeah. straight to the quarterback. Which, by the him. way, the 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 balls, really, to call a play like that, yeah. immediately off of a turnover, it's like, okay, they just got a turnover. They're going to be looking for a big play probably. Let's hit him with a little corner yeah, blitz. Yeah, hit a big play of your own. And yeah. they end up getting a stop there without giving up points. They punt <clears> it. It goes to your one. You have a 99-yard drive. So, really, that succession right there, though, with the stop and then the 99-yard drive, yeah. that was the difference, uh, I, I think, in the yeah, game. Yeah, did the All-American voters, did they get things mixed up? Because their All-American kicker was short on a 52-yard field goal attempt, and their punter was Ray Guy reincarnated. <laughs> What's up with that? Yeah. Um, that was certainly odd. He was he was two for two on 50-plus yarders coming into that game, too. Uh, so, that's kind of Oh, oh and by the, the way, the game was played in a baseball stadium in a dome, so there shouldn't have been any weather impacting the I kick. do have a theory, by the way, with the lack of replays that we saw in the was game. Was it because of the baseball stadium they didn't have was the angles? why? They didn't have angles? Maybe they didn't have the camera. I, I, that's like they that's they my couldn't only have explanation. Their regular camera setups? I don't know. I don't know. It was very weird. Because there was fishy. a distinct lack of replays of a lot of there stuff. There really was. To me, though, that game was won by the KU receivers. They dominated yeah. that game. That wasn't a great defensive performance. I, I do think they at least... I don't think the defense was as bad as giving up 36 points. I think, one, UNLV made some nice plays with their receivers. I think, two, when you have three turnovers as an offense, especially two of them that gave the ball for um, them yeah, plus, on your plus, side plus of the field, right? One yeah. of them, they get a touchdown. The other one, we just mentioned, they didn't score. When you look at those, when you look at uh, all the flags that you had in the game that lead to yards— I don't think that the defense was as bad as uh, right. The last touchdown too is kind of a garbage. You're you're playing you know uh, off coverage and everything. Yeah. I don't think it was as bad as maybe the 36 points indicate, but still, it wasn't a great defensive game. I'm not, I'm not trying to say it was you know great or anything like that. Yeah. Um, I thought Jason Bean was really good, but also he still did have three interceptions. Obviously, he didn't run the get run the run the ball like super well. He had all the penalties. He had the turnovers and everything. That was all about the receivers. Like the receivers legitimately took over that game. Yeah. Lawrence Arnold. Luke Grimm, Quentin Skinner won Kansas that game. Unbelievable yeah. performance by all three of them. Uh, yeah, a couple of nice mosses by a couple of those different guys. You got moss. You got moss. Does that does that statement still exist? I don't. Even, I don't know, but they, I, don't I don't even, even think watch. Any moss works. Okay, I, was, I don't even watch Monday Night Countdown. But honestly, most. they could if they still did it. They could do the entire segment on just the KU game. They they could. Yes, it'd yes. be incredible. And yeah. Luke Grimm is just a ultimate bowl game performer. Last year in the Liberty Bowl, he had ten catches for 167 yards and a touchdown. Now this one, he goes for four catches for like 160 and three scores. Lawrence Arnold goes for like 130. And Quentin Skinner even has two catches for 80 yards and then a run for like a handful of yards. And his catches are incredible. The incredible catches that they made, it was it was master class. They won all the 50-50 balls. They became 90-10 balls. And yes, I, I do think Jason Mean deserves credit because he throws a very catchable deep ball and he throws a catchable... 50-50 ball that I, oh, I don't think he always does get credit Jason for. Jason Bean is going to give you a chance. He, he don't care. He is. Absolutely. <laughs> He's going to throw it up for you. I'll be honest. I thought that one of Lawrence Arnold or Luke Grimm should have won MVP. Or offensive MVP, I guess I should say. 
I just thought they took over the game. How do you not give it to a, How do you not give it to a guy who had 450 yards and six touchdown passes? Because to me, he had the three interceptions, which were key plays. And, and sure, the way I fine. looked at it, like I know he had those 450 and the six touchdowns. How many of those were just wide open receivers? How a, many of those of were making unbelievable catches by the receivers? Yeah, and I, and I don't mean the takeaway from Jason. Mead. I thought Jason Mean still, you know. He, he deserved to, in a lot of ways. I, I guess we can transition to that. I just yeah. wanted to lay it out there that I thought that those guys were the main reason KU won the game. But let's get into so, it. So, yeah, okay. I've been I've been talking about this mm-hmm. over the course of the season a couple times, about this idea that I have, I have felt ever since really this season that KU, this program, they needed a moment. One of them about that is they needed something tangible, something definitive to say, the new era is officially here. The the previous chapter of Kansas football has officially been closed. I've I felt I have felt this sense throughout the whole season that they've needed something. They've needed that. They've needed something to say, okay, put a period on that. The end. Next chapter. Mm-hmm. I, I felt I have felt that for for a long time this season. They had a good chance against Kansas State. I think that that would have been that moment. Didn't happen for them. But lo and behold, here comes the bowl game, and they finally get that moment. They finally get to, I think, officially put a stamp on the previous era of KU football and usher in the new Lance Leipold-led Kansas football program. And what better hero, what better hero to write the final sentences of the previous chapter and officially enter Kansas into the new era than Jason Bean, okay? He perfectly epitomizes this story of Kansas football. Comes in as a transfer to start, to start his career. Things don't go so well. You know, under under the first year under Lance Leipold, they're still trying to get the feet of the, under themselves. They're still trying to figure things out. Things don't go well for him. Jason Bean is not the most charismatic individual when it comes to his leadership style. He's much more of a hum- humble guy, quieter guy, right? He kind of struggles his first year. Here comes a young, charismatic, ultra-talented guy behind him, takes away the starting job, Jalen Daniels. Jason Bean could have easily pouted, could have easily transferred again. In this area of cultural ball, you can transfer 100 times. Nobody cares. He sticks around. He's the backup. Jalen Daniels leads KU to 5-0 last season. He's the darling of college football. Gets hurt. Here comes Jason Bean to become the lightning rod of this Kansas football program for both negative and positive reactions. You're 5-0. KU starts to lose some games to Jason Bean. Fans are getting nervous. Is this team going to finish 5-7? and seven? Are they even going to make a bowl? Can Jason Bean get them that one win? And he does against Oklahoma State. They go to the bowl game. Jalen Daniels comes back. Goes crazy. Leads Kansas on an epic comeback. And yet, on the final play of the game, who ends up with the football in his hands? Jason Bean. Well, the one defender for UNLV tried to make it. I'm talking about the Arkansas him. game. I'm talking about oh, the Arkansas oh, game. Oh, yeah. I'm talking about the Arkansas game. <laughs> yeah. Jason Bean ends up with the ball in his hands at the end of that game. And KU fans know how that goes. Yeah. Okay? And at that moment, Jason Bean potentially walked off the field as a Kansas Jayhawk for the last time in his career. Maybe the last time he'll ever play football ever again. It well, felt and like I, I just want to interject real quick. Sorry sorry to interrupt you. Um, there's a world where if he throws that and completes it and KU wins the game, maybe he does walk off for the final time because he feels happier with his last performance. Could be. Could be. Right? And at that point, Jason Bean, that offseason, has a decision to make. What does he want to do? And I think there are some KU fans that would have gladly accepted Jason Bean leaving, would have gladly accepted Jason Bean Walking out of football, walking out of the Kansas football program, and instead, coaching staff, among others, ultimately he decides to return. Now you enter the 2023 season. 
He comes back as the backup. Jalen Daniels has his injury issues again. Jason Bean comes in again. And again, he has his ups, he has his downs, but it's a story of redemption and of perseverance. Winning against Oklahoma, going on the road against Iowa State and following that up. Leading Kansas to this bowl game late in the season against UNLV. And then to have this game, the way he ended it, a, a microcosm of Jason Bean's entire career of Kansas. The great, the elite, the bad, the kind of ugly with some interceptions. But in the end, it's always been the same for Jason Bean. He still persevered, and he still continued to fight till the very end. And ultimately, this final chapter of the previous era of KU football ends, I feel, exactly how it should have all along. I mean, I'm so stupid. I should have seen this coming all along. Jason Bean raising the MVP trophy to win Kansas their first bowl game since 2009 to officially usher in the new Lance Leipold, Travis Goff era of Kansas football. It really is fitting. It really is. And you don't always get that in sports. Like sometimes it feels like, sometimes it feels like it should I happen. I was worried if KU was going to get that moment. Yeah. I was worried that they, because it felt like, to me, it felt like Kansas State was the obvious game where you could have that moment. And it didn't happen. And maybe you could even go back and say, well, maybe they would have had a chance to have a moment like that in, in the Texas game if Jalen Daniels doesn't get hurt. Maybe that's a game where you go on the road and you beat Texas, and that's the moment. That's mm. the moment where you say, boom, case, book closed, chapter closed. But instead, there was there was a little more to the story. And maybe Jason Bean knew that all along. <laughs> he, but he knew it the feels like there's no better way to turn the page for the future of sure. Kansas football than with the picture of Jason Bean ho- hoisting up the MVP trophy, winning Kansas their first bowl game in 14 years. Yeah, and, and as much as I do think the the MVPs of the game was the receiver position and them taking over, I guess you could say, well, because there were multiple receivers who went off, maybe it should go to the guy who, who's distributing the ball. And and I think uh, to further add to that, it, not just Jason Bean, having Kenny Logan win defensive MVP, because it is, I, I will say, it is very cool that both those guys won it from the storytelling perspective of what this means. Because when you look at Kenny Logan, too, it's it's – a similar but different story of a guy who, you know, was a good player for KU on some bad teams early in his career, sure. getting on the field early, and when the staff arrived in the spring, he very easily could have transferred out in that spring of 2021 and gone to another college like Marcus Harris or Dejon Terry or Karan Prunty and some of these guys did. He easily could have, you know, done the same thing. He ended up sticking around. I know that picture was going around last night on social media with him holding up like the jersey with Lance Leipold. Sticks around. Uh, comes back, has, you know, first-team All-Big 12 year in 2021. Then he's Big 12 honorable mention, I think, in 2022. Then this year, he could have gone pro after last year. He had graduated. He had probably earned his degree, I would assume, and everything. He decided to come back for one more ride. And I, I think it's really fitting that he got a part of it, too. So, uh, really, when I look at this season for KU, I think all of these first three years are part of building the foundation because I agree with you. It is now time to ascend to that next. Yep. I think 2021 was digging the, I don't know, digging the hole where you're going to set the foundation, right? Sure. It was it was eliminating what you have to. It was getting rid of some of the dirt. It was, you know, doing the hard work. Digging a hole is hard. Then in 2022, <laughs> 2022 was about kind of laying the foundation. It was, I, I, I'm not a carpenter and and... You know, far from a construction person, so uh, forgive me for this. But pouring it was, the concrete, it was pouring the concrete. The, it know, was yeah, it was it was setting the, the initial wooden, set, you know, you know, yeah, the framework or whatever. The framework. framework, yeah. There we go. Keywords that we can use here. Um, that's what 2022 was. This year, 
was finishing the foundation. It was the foundation being complete. Yeah. And now the foundation is done with this group of players and, and that bullwind that you had, that now you can build on it. Now the You're house can be built. start building some stuff. Exactly, which is really, really exciting for what this team is. Um, so, I mean, just just really cool to send out all the seniors in general and, yeah. and cool that Jason Bean and, and Kenny Logan got that. Uh, I think beyond that, like, if you're just looking at the biggest takeaway for me of the game in terms of, like, the long-term takeaway, I guess you could talk about, you know, some of the young players we got to see on the field. But really, for me, it's it's one big one. What was the offense going to look like without Andy Konalicki? And I guess we don't really know for sure what the offense will look like next year because Jeff Grimes will be a play caller instead of, you know, Jim Zabrowski. But I think what we learned in this game is that KU's offense is, and I don't know if we learned it, I, I think we kind of, I don't know, hypothesized yeah. it before KU, the KU's, game too. KU's offense. It's more than one guy. It's not a house of cards. It's not. It's not, it's not one guy calling in. If you take away one thing, it's not going to all collapse. It's incredible scheme by a collaboration of coaches, by Jim Zabrowski, by Matt Lubick, by you know whoever gets involved in this stuff, by Lance Leipold, whatever. Uh, it is a collaboration of having great players into your offense. And the offense is not just a product of Andy Kolnick. Yes, I think Andy Kolnick is a good offensive coordinator, but the show must go on without him, and it did last night. You put show up, goes on. Exactly. You put up 49 points, and honestly, you could have put up more. Right? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the game, you're running the clock out. You, you could have easily put up 56, maybe even like 63 if you're yeah. going pedal to the metal the whole fourth quarter there. And so, then, you know, maybe you eliminate some of those 200 penalty yards. Maybe yeah, you end up scoring more that points. Too. That too. I mean, think about the, the long Devin Neal run he had on like the first drive of the game that gets brought back for a hold. Yeah. So, I mean, the offense is not a product of Andy Konalicki, and, and I think that, that should make you feel good about where the offense is going to be next year. But uh, I guess bottom line here, Kansas finished off a nine-win season. This is just the, uh, I think, seventh time in program history. Um, that they've done that. They won a bowl game for just the seventh time in program yeah. history. Six time they six time in program history they've had nine wins. I thought it was seven because I, I went back, I had it at six before, and I went back and found an eighteen ninety nine season that I don't think I was counting before when they went like <laughs> ten and zero randomly. Um but anyway, yeah, either way it's it hasn't happened a lot. You know, it, point blank. Yeah. You're talking about 120 I mean, dude, plus years of KU football. Your your Michigan's, your Ohio State's, your yeah. Alabama's, your Georgia's. Those teams sleepwalk right. to nine, ten win seasons. It's like, well, we for only Kansas, won nine. Yeah. that was always the the <laughs> gripe for Georgia fans with Mark Rick. It was like we're going nine and four every year. You know? Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, I know. Nine uh, and four, unacceptable. But to think about them getting to nine wins already by year three of the Lance yeah. Leipold there again, they were zero and nine in twenty twenty. First year Lance Leipold. I mean, and the first I think year Lance Leipold wasn't even a full first year. You would have been laughed out of whatever establishment you were in if you suggested that by the third year yes. of Kansas football and Lance Leipold they were going to win nine games. You'd been I, laughed out of wherever you were at when, when he was first hired. I think the thought in my mind and in a lot of probably other KU fans was, I think okay, maybe you win two games near one, maybe year two you win four or five, maybe year three you win six or seven to make a bowl game. Yeah. No, I think basically 2022 is what people probably would have expected you hope to get by year three. Yes. So you're basically one year ahead of schedule, and now you're even further ahead of schedule. Yes. Now. You would have thought maybe you can win nine by year five. You know? Oh, by the way, playoff next season? And then that's the cool part of this. The idea that you laid the foundation this season, you could bring all these players back, and this can be a springboard into the offseason. I, I know it, it, it almost feels like jumping the gun from what you're used to with KU football and that – you know, it still was only a bull win over a Mountain West team and yada, yada, yada. You're talking about a 9-4 and four team that could bring back eight starters on offense. They could bring back a ton of starters on defense. We'll see what happens with the transfer portal and, and all this stuff for both. It, it could be positive or negative. You could lose players. You could gain some really good players. Who knows? Uh, we still have to wait on some decisions and stuff to happen. But, yeah, there's a real chance that KU could be preseason top 25. You know, like, um, 
there's going to be some good teams in the Big 12 next year, like Utah, Arizona, uh, Kansas State, you just expect to be around. Iowa State had a pretty good year this year. Oklahoma State, Ollie Gordon comes back, right? Um, yeah. I mean, I don't I, know, maybe I a mean, UCF or TCU. They at this clearly point, have talent. But, I'm expecting Utah to probably yeah. be because Cam Rising will have another year. He'll he be does. back. I, believe. I did see Jaquin and Jackson, their stud running backs, transferring. Mm. So that'll be interesting. But so yeah, yeah. I would assume Utah probably number one. Probably. Then you look at a team like Kansas State again. I, I think with Kansas State, like I'm going to kind of reserve what I think for them next season based off what happens in their bowl game because if Avery Johnson goes out and maybe doesn't look that great, that maybe changes your sure. your outlook on what Kansas State could be. You look at Arizona, who Arizona have a freshman. You want to look at a program that's on a sort of a been on a sort of a similar trajectory to Kansas, right? Where they were down in the dumps for a long With time. With Jed Fish, who uh, was one of the other candidates instead of Les Miles, <laughs> though I don't think there really ever were any other candidates. But anyway. <laughs> So you look at Arizona, then Kansas, and then Oklahoma State. You assume with Mike Gundy that they're going to be a team that's probably going to be in the mix, and then but uh, but and then then you get down to like you know like you said Iowa State. Does TCU have a bounce back year? Maybe does Texas yeah. Tech have a bounce back year? Remember they were the team that everyone thought was going to be. So there's going to be a lot of teams that you can put in the discussion, but you got to at this point you put Kansas probably in that top three or four. I think right now. Really cool. You're in the you're in the discussion. You're in the conversation, and and that's a cool place to be. Headed into next year, so uh, I mean, ideally, in in ten years from now, a nine and four season becomes more of a regularity. But right now, with where this program has been, feels pretty good. It feels pretty darn good. What a fun season to watch! What a fun team to uh, kind of cover this year for KU football. We're going to break down the guaranteed rate bowl KU football all throughout the show today on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Henry Greenstein will join us in about fifteen minutes. Let's get to our hit of the week coming up next. Henry Greenstein of KUSports.com will join us in about 10 minutes to talk the guarantee rate He was there in Phoenix last night to cover the game for the LJ World. Before we get to that, we have our Pearson Collision Hit of the Week, which is just like you. Pearson Collision loves to celebrate a great hit in KU football, but in your car, not so much. Quality work, every job, Pearson Collision in Lawrence. I think there's a, a decent amount of options from last night's game, though yeah. there wasn't really that one like defensive, just huge hit stick. No, the there wasn't. And and I mean there was a couple good blocks, but there wasn't any yeah. that were like oh right. You know? <laughs> so I think we do have a lot of options here. I'm curious to see what what uh, you what you want to go with here. All right. So uh the first option I had was on the first drive of the game. I have one that you did okay you, you were writing some down and you didn't write it down. So okay. I have so one that I think it. I might actually pick. All right, here's the options that I came up with. Uh, Kenny Logan and Jason Gilliam had a nice hit. It was the first drive of the game. UNLV had second and goal on the three. They had a pitch play to the right, and Gilliam and Logan teamed up and, and kind of smacked him down. Uh, do you lose points because they scored the next play? I don't know, maybe. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Um, there was Patrick Joyner who – it wasn't like a hard hit, but he like was grabbing Jaden Maeva enough that it like ripped his, his uh, shirt underneath the jersey. As he was throwing, which caused the Craig Young interception in the second quarter. Mm. So uh, that was yeah. an effective so hit. A hit of the Not arm. Not a big hit. Yeah. I guess, yeah. yeah. More Getting more bang grab. for your buck with the hit. Yeah. Or, yeah, it's not the grab of the week. It's the hit of the week. I know. There was uh, a, a good pancake by Mason Fairchild on a DB in the second quarter on just kind of like an innocuous like run up the middle. Oh. That yeah. was good. Okay. Um, Kobe Bryant's sack of Jaden Maeva, where he comes off untouched on the corner blitz. Maeva didn't see him till it was too late, and he he hit him pretty hard. That was a huge sack in the game. When you talk about the importance, yeah. that was after Jason Bean's third interception. They had a first and ten at your thirty-six when it was twenty-eight twenty-four. They had scored uh, at that point seventeen unanswered points, so that was certainly a big one. Uh, yeah. There was 
both Quentin Skinner and Luke Grimm blocking, hitting the DBs on the screen touchdown to Lawrence Arnold. Great effort by both those receivers to help Arnold get the touchdown, which was a great play by him, too. Yeah. There was uh, K- KU's PAT from Seth Keller <laughs> hitting the left upright the doink. And, and somehow bouncing in <laughs> to make it 42 to 30. Well, it's like he kicked it so hard at the upright that it, like, you know, like a pinball. I you joked know? on social media before the game that, um, actually, I don't even know if it was a joke. I, I, I really wish this was the case. The logo of the Guaranteed Rate Bowl was a cactus field goal post. Oh, yeah. And you Imagine wanted... if the game was an actual cactus so, field goal post. First of all, do you understand? There's, I don't think there's cactuses or cacti, cactuses, mm-hmm. cacti? Cacti. I don't think there's cacti that large. Yes, there are. To, ba- to build an entire field goal post? Yeah, dude. Dude, you need, you have to be like, I don't even know how tall I mean, that thing have is. To, you'd have to manufacture it together. Are you like, willing to go tear down that? Have, okay, have, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang okay. on. Are you willing to go tear down that goal post then after KU wins? Oh, if it's a cactus? Yeah. Do I have Would gloves? Uh, maybe. If I have thick gloves, then maybe. The saguaro can grow to be over 12 meters tall. That's what, 36, 36 feet? Well, more than that, because it's like three how tall, and a half feet. How tall are the uprights? That's a good question. They're, they look like they might be taller than 36 feet. Plus, how are you going to get it to grow out like an upright? Field goal posts are... Let's see, from the... Okay, it's they're 10 feet tall, but they're 10 feet tall from where they... No, they're 10 feet from where they start. So extend feet. 35 feet up in the air. So that means you need 45 feet, right? So it's 10 feet from basically the ground to the upright. Well, you and just then need, 35. You, need, you would need a cactus that's 10 feet, and then you would need a cactus in the middle for the crossbar, and then you need two cacti. Dude, what do you think this is? Like, like Yeah, you're going like, to have to like manufacture it. Crafting class? Yes, just, I think you so. Can just put it to, you can just stick it together? Anyway, imagine in that scenario, the ball just like sticks on the upright. Does it get anyway. So is that good or wrong? So if that happens... <laughs> Is the, is the extra point good or no good? It's a free ball. Whoever picks it up. So you got to go climb up you and grab climb it? the cactus. <laughs> Otherwise, nobody does. It's no good. Uh, anyway, Doug Emelian also, uh, th- this is the one yeah. that, that you wanted to point yeah. out. Yeah, so Doug Emelian, yeah. I'm, I couldn't remember exactly what play it is. I'm like 99% sure. I know which play it was. It, was it the Devin Neal third and 17 run? Yes, it was. Okay, they that's got what I 16 thought. yards, what I thought. allowed yes. him to go for fourth and one. Yes. On that play, Devin Neal does like this like stop and start thing, and he bounces it to the outside. And one of the main reasons why he was able to do that is Doug Emelian, who is not a significantly no. large guy, from the slot, takes his defender and literally just, like, drags him to the inside and seals it, like, perfectly for Devin Neal to run to the outside. I really, really, really liked that play, and I wanted to bring it up. I don't know if I should pick it, though, but shout-out Doug Emelian. A big play. He actually was uh, KU's highest-graded run blocker. Probably, for that, run, probably yeah. for that play alone. Yeah, I don't know how many snaps it was. And then uh, Quentin Laster and Rich Miller teamed up to smack the running back short of the the two-point conversion. It was 49-30. They get a touchdown. They go for two, and it was a big hit by Laster and Miller. And if you think about it, if you got the original spread <laughs> at, 12 at like 12.5, half, half, yeah, yeah. or even if it was, uh, I guess, 11.5, you needed them to make the stop on the two-point conversion. They yep. did from that hit. <laughs> that one actually meant a lot. What All would right. you like to go with? So my top two are the Kobe Bryant sack and Doug Emelian block. Those are my top two. I really want to pick the Doug Emelian block, but I almost think the Kobe Bryant sack was more significant. So, if I I might pick that one. I don't know what what do you. I'm with the Kobe Bryant sack just okay. because of the significance. Yeah, I, I'm fine with that. I just really wanted to give a shout out to Doug Emelian because that was an awesome. No, play. it was. And, it, was. and obviously, K ends up scoring. blocking in general. And K yeah. ends up scoring on off the fourth and one. Mm-hmm. They end up scoring on the next play. So which was a hilarious because they would not. Of... You know, if Devin Neal gets tackled and instead yeah. of fourth and one, it's fourth and six. They're punting. They probably yeah. They're not yeah. 
And that fourth and one was hilarious from a viewing perspective because it was one of those plays where it was like, Jason, run, like, run. It's wide open. Got five get, yards. I know. Go get the first and down. Like, oh, he is wide open. You yeah, know? and then the camera zooms out. And, the, yeah. and, like, and oh. the Lawrence Arnold's got nobody within 20 <laughs> yards of him. Yeah, so it made sense. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Henry Greenstein, LJ World, joins us next to talk KU and the Guaranteed Rate Bowl. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, and despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind, and they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th and Black Bob in Aletha. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and we're joined now by Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com, who was in Arizona. Uh, I think the attendance ended up being around 26,000. Henry, if you had to estimate, uh, what percentage of the, uh, the the attendance last night, the fan base that, that was at the game, would you say was KU fans? Yeah, it's tough to say because I was right above the UNLV band in the press box. So I feel like I maybe had a more pro-UNLV experience than most. But I would say KU, KU outnumbered UNLV from what I saw, at least in the stadium, maybe like 60-40. That's my totally amateur judgment. <laughs> um, but, yeah, there was certainly pretty good involvement from both sides. Obviously not like the most, the most dynamic and most intense college football atmosphere but that's not really what a bowl game is it's like a postseason little treat for people to enjoy uh around christmas time i imagine the timing probably didn't help in terms of people being able to get there but yeah it was a really fun game to cover and certainly it felt like a fitting end for jason bean which which you got to write about at kusports.com was this just how it was always going to be i mean it it feels like it, it had to happen this way I agree with you completely, and I especially think that it's fitting that he had another chance to throw two interceptions and come back and do a really good job after that. Um, You know, in many ways, it was a quintessential 2023 Jason Bean game. Uh, I I mentioned in my article how he had thrown those two-way interceptions at Oklahoma State, and it all went south. And he had thrown the two-way interceptions at Oklahoma, and he came back and led a memorable game-winning drive. And this one was much more like the latter. I believe after his second interception, he didn't throw another incompletion for the entire remainder of the game, and he threw three touchdowns. So pretty good bounce back, pretty excellent statement about exactly how he's improved the season and all he's accomplished. And especially given how emotionally fraught the conclusion of last year's bowl game was, just a, a nice way to wrap it all up for Bean. What to you was the biggest standout last night for why KU won the game? Like uh, whether it's a player position or just, I don't know, something that you felt KU did well to overcome uh, UNLV. Oh, there's so many things I could think of, but I think the receivers have to be the, the biggest standout for me. I mean, this is a group that really doesn't get talked about too much in part because they don't always make the same kind of highlight plays that the running backs and quarterbacks do. <clears throat> but they they have been an integral part of this rebuild. They've had super consistent personnel there, and this was finally a chance for them to sort of flash, and they all did. I mean, Quentin Skinner and Lawrence Hall made incredible catches. Luke Grimm did his thing, and I feel like Bean really hasn't targeted Grimm much this season. I think he was much more a favorite target for Jalen Daniels, so it was nice to see him get involved again. But 
Yeah, I mean, they, they totally decimated the UNLV secondary. They, they made one-on-one possession grabs. They did a great job running after their catch, which, as, as you know, has been an emphasis for them going back to fall camp this year. And you saw that on the Lawrence Arnold run where he, you know, he got some early blocks from Grimm and Skinner. He speeds down the sideline. He cuts back in. He gets another block from Skinner. Just, just kind of a masterful showing from those three guys. And I think that ultimately was the difference because they, they made things reliable for Bean even after those mistakes he made and kept giving him good options. And when you look at this game being kind of a springboard for the offseason, I mean, it's not just about the game, it's the practices and everything, but was there something that, you know, occurred over the course of these couple of weeks here or in the game specifically that you think should be the biggest positive for, you know, maybe 2024, maybe the future years for KU football or the KU as a program that came out of this game and, and what happened in the bowl game? I mean, one thing that comes to mind is getting Calvin Clemens a chance to get a start as a true freshman, and like, he acquitted himself fairly well, as I understand, just looking at PFF grades. And I, I think he's a cornerstone for this program going forward, especially as a Lawrence native, um, and they likely will have to start him next year. I was just looking at how the offensive line could look next year, and uh, it, it, was, it was really good that they were able to get him the bowl practices as well as significant in-game experience against a, a team that was not too shabby, particularly in the trenches, for a lot of the game. Talking with Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com. You know, last night was beyond uh, a big moment for KU football's program and Jason Bean and some of these guys. Uh, it was a interesting game, to say the least, when, when you look at what happened with some of the officiating and the massive amount of flags and personal fouls that occurred in the game last night. I, I'm curious... What was kind of the vibe and reaction in, in like the press box last night or around the game or I guess behind the scenes with everything that was happening during the game? Yeah, I'm not sure if people know this, but it was just as confusing in the press box <laughs> as it was watching it on TV, if not more so, because, you know, the mics were off for the officials, so we're not hearing what any of the penalties are. The, the people who, are, who explain it over the press box intercom aren't getting any more information. And we have even less access to, like, replays and whatnot compared to a broadcast, although my understanding is that ESPN didn't really air many replays of anything. So, yeah, I mean, I am not ashamed to say that I had no idea what was going on at many junctures throughout the game last night. It was definitely one of the more confusing coverage experiences I've had. There were a few occasions where I felt I had a pretty good understanding of what happened like the one where Kobe got called for pass interference and there was a personal foul after the play. And those sorts of things seemed legitimate. They were understandable. There were just a lot of after-the-play fouls where it was totally impossible to understand what the motivation or cause for them could have been. And so I was able to empathize with all the uh, legions of angry KU fans I thought tweeting about it online because I found myself in much the same scenario of confusion. Yeah, uh, do, do you buy anything into the notion, this idea that, I don't know, uh, you see the the spread, the, the game line moving before it drops from like 13 to like seven and a half, eight points before the game. You have a team from Vegas who I think is still being investigated right now for uh, something that happened in, in the New Mexico game about, you know, weird betting stuff possibly going. Is there any anything in your mind that you think that there could be I don't know, something sinister at play that, that we could look back in five years in some investigation and be like, yeah, it turns out that 
uh, I don't know, that, that, that something was being rigged or, or attempted to be rigged in, in a game like this. Do you think that is too far, or are you willing to put on a tinfoil hat? I think that's too far, Derek. I, I, I think that we see bizarre officiating performances all the time. I, I understand what you're saying, and I didn't actually know the thing you mentioned about a previous game that there's being investigated, but I think that's drawing a lot of tenuous connections. I think it's possible for officials to make ludicrous calls and do strange things all on their own without any sinister ulterior motives. <laughs> Uh, I'm curious because the, the MVPs at the end of the game ended up being Jason being a quarterback for, for the offensive side, Kenny Logan, the safety for the defensive side. Did, did you get a vote? And, and if so, who did you vote for uh, individually? I did not get a vote. I don't know that that's who I would have chosen. I think, I think Bean makes sense because he threw six touchdowns um, despite the interceptions. I mean, it's kind of hard to pass that up. I don't know that I would have gone with Kenny Logan. I think Kobe had a big interception and that sack he had on the first play of a UNLV drive after a bean interception was unbelievably important changing the flow of that game. I mean, if he doesn't get that sack, KU might go behind in the third quarter. So, you know, his play stood out to me on defense. I thought Patrick Joyner had a really good game because he had a, he had a big sack. He had a few tackles. He also had a quarterback hit on Mayava that, that forced an interception for Craig Young. Uh, so good performance for him in his last game. Um, I don't know. I'd have to look back at Kenny's stats to be sure. And, of course, he is often the emotional center of that defense. But probably not who I would have voted for, though. It's uh, good for him that in his last game he got to be acknowledged like that. Yeah, see, it's interesting because I – and I kind of agree with you after the way you put it with, with Kobe Bryant there. But I kind of thought that, that it should have been Luke Grimm or Lawrence Arnold on the offensive side. Not to take away from Jason Bean. Like uh-huh. you said, you have six touchdowns and you break a bowl record and everything. But – those three interceptions, you know, the, those were pretty costly plays, one in the red zone, the other two that set them up with short fields, and one of them which they uh, score on. I, I kind of would have liked to see it go to one of the receivers, but I, I fully understand. I mean, I still think Jason Mean had a good game, all things considered. I just thought that, for me, that game was more about, if we go back to the beginning of this conversation, you know, what was the thing that stood out for, for Kansas, was the receivers. I, I feel like that should have been rewarded. Yeah, I know. I agree with you. And and if I had been given a vote, I probably would have picked Arnold uh, just in the moment. But I don't know that I, I'm not sure who votes for these or how they get selected, but I'm sure there was some sentimental reasons behind it. And I get it. And also, I just think it's often hard for wide receivers to win awards when their quarterback also gets all of their stats and more. <laughs> yeah. No, and maybe that was the difference in the end, uh, that it was, hey, do we pick Luke Grimm or Lawrence Arnold? Because both of them had you know, similar stats. I think Arnold had more catches. Grimm had more yards. Both had the three touchdowns. Maybe they're just like, well, if we're between two different receivers, doesn't that mean the guy throwing the ball is having a pretty good game, too? So I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's a big gripe. I just, you know, if, if I had a vote, that's, that's what I would have kind of done. But I don't think there's any wrong answers yeah. here. Uh, one of the big stories before the game that came out, Pete Thamel of ESPN reported that Devin Neal would be returning to 2024. Now, uh, kind of odd everything that's happened afterwards. I mean, in the post game, Lance Leipold, I think, did say that Luke Grimm will be back next year. But when he was asked about Devin Neal being back for next year, he uh, kind of said like that that's up to him to, to say that's his news to share. So he didn't really give a confirmed answer so far. What do you kind of make of like, is it possible that that was jumping the gun by Pete Thamel? I, I don't know. What do you kind of make of the uh, Devin Neal news, so to speak? 
It was all peculiar. Uh, it, it was it was all strange. The timing was bizarre from Thamel. Um I I'll be interested to see how that unfolds. I was a little. I mean, I was just sad that we didn't get to talk to Devin after the game. But I assume on his own time he will make some sort of announcement about what he's doing. But yeah, I mean, you know, KU Twitter loves to look for things to get panicked about leading up to a game. You already alluded to the the hastily dropping spread, which obviously was one such thing. And then, you know, whenever you're looking at a college student's Instagram post, you're going to get some confusing messages. People start to do that with Devin. Then the family tweet comes out. People are totally reversing their thoughts on the Devin thing. And, uh, you know, I, I guess I would have slightly more expected him to go to the NFL, especially with the way that running backs as a position are getting kind of devalued. And so when your stock is high and you're young, you generally want to go and capitalize on it. But I also acknowledge that things are changing with NIL and also that Devin has a a massive personal connection and personal investment in taking some of those records and bringing the team to new heights. Um, I'll be interested to see if and how he chooses to confirm Samuel's announcement. As far as I know, no other outlets have really confirmed it yet. Um, I think the star had a, a source who wasn't able to say one way or the other. So, yeah, just, just interesting, interesting times. And you have to imagine that probably not the time or place he wanted that to be revealed. Yeah, for sure. So I, I don't know. I guess it'll be interesting to kind of follow that in, in what happens the rest of the way. Um, what are kind of your early expectations? I know part of it will depend on decisions like, you know, Devin Neal and Kobe Bryant and some of these other things. And uh, does anybody else big transfer away or anything over the course of the offseason? But what at this point in time uh, are kind of your early expectations for what this team could could be like from, I guess, both a, a just, I don't know, overall perspective and, and kind of a win-loss perspective next season? Well, I think the offense has a chance to be really extraordinary with the, the level of returning experience. Obviously, that hinges more than ever on Jalen being healthy, and we still don't really know what exactly it is that he's dealing with, although uh, Jeff Grimes has clearly been in frequent conversation with him and has been urging him to attack his rehab and all that kind of stuff. So, But uh, offense, I think, could be extraordinary. Defense, I think, will we'll have some familiar concerns. I think the front seven, as it stands now, both the defensive line and linebackers, are going to be a big question mark. I, Austin Booker and Gage Keys both would have had huge roles on next year's team and probably been the best players at their respective positions. And then at linebacker, KU's offered a lot of players that position in the portal, but has not been able to come up with one yet. And right now you're looking at replacing from within with guys like Jason Gilliam and Cornell Wheeler, who have been good and among the highest graded players of their position, but we don't know how they would adapt to a full season as a starter. And then J.B. Brown and Taiwan Berryhill being at the same spot might be a little problematic as it was this year in some ways. So I, I'm, I'm also a little concerned about cornerback depth behind Kobe and Melo. I, I think I alluded to that on a previous edition of the show. So I think it will be a familiar offseason in terms of people being excited about the offense and having lots of questions about the defense. I, I would not be a uh, good interview here unless uh, I asked you one final worry scale as the season has come to a close for KU football 
what is now the worry scale. Jason Bean, last game, he's departed the program. Worry scale for Jalen Daniels headed into 2024 as a starter now with a whole offseason in front of him in a brand new year. I think I said like five and a half before, but I don't, that might have been something with Nick and it might have been a slightly different scale. I'm trying to remember exactly <laughs> what our end points were. I, 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 I think that I will just say that I am, I am, I'm continuing to be worried. I think that it's really concerning that, that Jalen didn't really seem to have a meaningful chance of playing in another game uh, outside of like one or two that he dressed for and warmed up a little bit for. Um, and the, the, the fluky and unpredictable nature of this injury means that once again, we could get to the start of the season thinking we're going to have a full campaign of Jalen Daniels and then he could play a small number of games again. So I have no idea. I don't know enough about this injury to really know how the KU medical staff is going to address it, but I would say that I remain worried. Okay. And uh, if you were in the position of having to choose, do you add a player in the transfer portal to, to possibly be a backup quarterback. Who knows if, if that guy's even out there because most you know quarterbacks transferring are, are looking to probably start somewhere. But you know maybe there's the right situation out there. Do you feel comfortable with the backup quarterback room right now being Cole Ballard and Isaiah Marshall, or would you go out and add someone else? I would not go out and add someone else. I think, especially based on what I said before, KU has much more pressing needs for a scholarship on the other side of the ball. I understand that Cole Ballard threw like one touchdown and three interceptions and really a lot of his promise was more eye test and, and mental and stuff and actually in terms of what he showed on the field a lot of times. Maybe that's a harsh assessment. I don't know. But I, I understand that Cole Ballard is not totally a known quantity yet, but I think based on how highly the staff thinks of him that he will be a good option as a backup quarterback. Remember, most, most teams don't need their backup quarterbacks to start 10 games in mm-hmm. a season. Uh, so I, if KU has anything resembling the normal level of usage for a backup quarterback, or even just a little bit more, they will be perfectly fine with Cole Ballard and Isaiah Marshall. Well, Henry, I appreciate the time. Uh, what do you guys have going on right now with uh, KUSports.com? Well, the uh, the second installment of my year in review thing is coming out soon. This one will be the, the most memorable quotes of the year. So uh, keep an eye out for that. And other than that, just, just more bowl coverage coming up, a couple of follow-up articles. And, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate everyone who contributed to our bowl preview. And we also have a, a – a pictorial year in review thing with some of our best photos from the year coming out in the days to come. So keep an eye on that as well. Henry, I appreciate the time. Uh, thanks for coming on today. And I guess next time we talk to you, we'll be in uh, 2024. So happy new year. All right. Same to you. And thanks for having me. That was Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence journal world and KU sports.com joining us right here on rock chalk sports talk one hour down two to go. We're going to get to our KU football takeaways. We've also got some KU football post-game audio to get to and our KU football heroes and villains segment coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Four o'clock hour here. We're going to get to some KU football audio later this hour, including from the podium after the game down on the field and uh, from 
the Jayhawk Radio Network some uh, cool audio between game highlights, post-game interviews, Lance Leipold's halftime interview, which was uh, sweeping the nation, so to speak. So, Wait, what did he say? Later this hour. He was not happy with the officials. Oh. It was a funny interview. I thought it was a very well-officiated game. Mm, you did? Yeah. Do you wish every game was officiated like that? I do, yeah. No, I, I love it when the games take four hours. Yeah. It's my favorite. Four-hour game's great. When a yeah. team has 200 penalty yards, great. Really when you it. get a billion personal foul penalties yeah. on both teams, oh, great. Was great. That was fantastic. When you don't get replays to actually know why any of the penalties happened. Oh, that was happened, the part I loved the most. That's great. That was actually the part I loved the most. Yeah. That was my favorite part. Well, I've, I've I loved somebody... it when I didn't see the penalties that were being called. That was my favorite part. I have been on record as saying in the past, I am actually anti-replay review. Enough to where, like... No, but you're anti, like, the I, booth getting involved. Like, if a broadcast yes. shows a replay, who cares? Yeah, well, there is a part of me that wants not even to have replay on, like... So you actually did like... You actually enjoyed no, it. No, 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 no. I like it on That's things that said. are... No, no, no. I, I don't like... I, I'd like to know what happened on, like, a personal foul when it didn't happen during the play. You would like to see what happened after the play. You know what I mean? If they showed okay. the whole play, if I, I saw the whole thing, then that'd be great. I don't I, I think there's something fun to the allure of like, did the player catch it? Did he not? Did the player step in bounds? Did he not? There's something fun to the idea of back in like the sixties and seventies, you can be like Oh yeah, you just had to There's arguments that go on forever. Sure. It's like, no, yeah. I'm telling you, that guy was out of bounds. They wouldn't have won the Super Bowl. I don't know. There's something fun to that. Part of sports is arguing. Anyway, I guess doesn't yeah. matter. Sure. Uh, let's get to our KU football takeaways from the game. Let's start with our biggest okay. positive from the game. What is your biggest positive? Yeah, I, I think for me it was uh, probably you kind of touched on it earlier in the show, but the fact that the offense without Andy Kolnicki still showed that they were able to develop a game plan and execute it at a fairly high level, I would say, for the most part. You know, I, th- I thought it was interesting. KU they must have evidently seen something from UNLV's defense to suggest that hey. We can really take advantage of these guys over the top. We can really, we feel like our matchups at the receiver position, the wide receiver position, are really, really good. Because when you look at some of the games, and we talked about it during our preview, UNLV, UNLV, the thing that jumped out to you and I, and I think to a lot of people, was this is a team that had given up over 300 rushing yards in like five games this season. And they were just coming off of a game against Boise State where they gave a bunch of rushing yards. And so immediately the light bulb goes off. Oh, this could be a game where, you know, you run the ball with Devin Neal a lot and you run the ball with Daniel Highshot a lot and you do it well. And Kansas, they didn't really do that. They leaned, they, they actually leaned the other way. So I don't know if maybe part of the game plan was the thinking, the thought process for Kansas was, hey, UNLV is going to come in. They're going to see that we have some talented running backs, and maybe they're going to be over aggressive to try to stop the run. And we like our matchups on the outside. So let's just lean, let's just lean into, or lean against our tendency, and let's just let Jason Bean air it out. Uh, regardless, whatever, however they came to the conclusion to, to operate with that game plan. It worked pretty well, right? You mentioned earlier in the show, they had guys wide open. And, I mean, not wide open, wide open for some for some plays, right? So, clearly, KU must have recognized something about that and saw, hey, you know, we have an opportunity here to let Jason Bean really sling this thing, and, and, and we feel pretty good about our matchups. And, obviously, you saw the result. They had every right to believe that they had a yeah. good matchup because Lawrence Arnold and Luke Graham were, were doing fantastic things. Quentin Skinner had two huge catches as well. There was also a player Mason Fairchild was wide open also uh, for a big for a big catch and run. So, yeah, I think that's a big positive for me that you saw this is a staff with minus Andy Kolnicki that still seems very, very clearly capable of developing and executing uh, a, a game plan at a high level with a lot of success. Uh, you know, and I know UNLV's defense isn't, you know, Georgia <laughs> or isn't, 
you know, a great defense. But still, to be able to do that, I thought was was, was nice to see. It was, and honestly, like now thinking back to it, very similar to the Oklahoma State game. Like in terms of the KU offenses, I think you want to be worse than the Oklahoma State defense. Obviously, you won the game. You scored even more points. But like the Oklahoma State game, if you remember, KU didn't really run the ball a ton. They ran the ball better in this game, but they still only averaged 3.6 yards per carry. But the Oklahoma State game was, you just had guys running wide open. And that was the case in this one, too. Even yeah. Just to kind of the nth degree. Yeah. Um, so Jason think, Bean, by the way, finished with a 90.1 QBR. Yeah, so I think just a really good game plan from Kansas. Like mm-hmm. I said, clearly in their in their process of game planning and, and developing a game plan for this game, they must have recognized, hey, UN, maybe UNLV is going to be looking to stop the run even more because they know that they're not a great run defense. Jason Bean is willing to throw the ball down the field. We've got some high-quality receivers that we think have really good matchups on the outside. Let's take advantage of that. And they did, and they they, they executed very well. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think just in general, like, beyond the game plan and the execution, when, when you look at the players, I mean, the fact that the receivers took over the game, that you had you know, Luke Grimm go for 4 for 160, Lawrence Arnold 6, 132, Skinner 2 for 80, how many big catches there were in there beyond the the wide open ones, the ones where they had to make the incredible plays. You mentioned Fairchild. Trevor Wilson had a big catch. Jared Casey yeah, had a did. couple catches. That, actually, that Trevor Wilson catch, that's a good call on that one because he kind of took a big hit yeah. after he caught it and, and was able to hang on. And for a guy who's been more known about his, I guess, yard after kind of catch skills speed. than his yeah. catch skills specifically, uh, you know, that that's a nice play for for him to come up with that. So, yeah, I think that would be there. I, I mentioned this in the open, but uh, going back to the scheme idea and how much the offense worked, doing it without Andy Kolenicki was a good sign. Yeah, for sure. We don't know exactly what the offense will look like next year um, with Jeff Grimes. How does he add his spin to it? How yeah. does he call plays? I think I liked what Jim Zabrowski was about. He was very aggressive. He was still balanced, you know, with with the way they ran the ball and, and tried to establish that, but he was willing to throw it downfield. And it, it didn't really look that different than, than what we've seen from Kansas, uh, except no sugar huddle. No sugar huddle, yes. But I don't know if they would have the had an opportunity huddle, to do it. But. Yeah, the, the sugar huddle, man, it just, for whatever reason, man, it just, <laughs> I, you know, how many times can you say, well, it's just a coincidence that you ran a sugar huddle and the place <laughs> It <sucked."> didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how many times can you say that's just a coincidence? Wait, 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 wait a second. Yeah. Maybe the problem is we're rushed because we're doing this stupid little tap dance routine before we get to the line. So I was I was excited to see that. Now, whether that was something that was like an Andy Kotelnicki brainchild <laughs> or if it's something that just didn't happen to come up in the playbook last night, I, I guess remains to be seen. But that was a positive to, to give you more evidence that – yeah, it is more than just, you know, one offensive mind, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, other positives, I think, that stood out. How about the run defense? I mean, UNLV did a pretty good job throwing the ball. They had 291 in the air, 8.3. Yeah, and they're running back to Jesus. He's, he's a, a dangerous player. He ended up doing pretty well with them uh, for them receiving. Yeah, lines. well, I mean, he was a receiver coming in. They used him as a running back last year. Yeah. He was a good player. Yeah. All-purpose guy. Uh, yeah. A really good kick returner, too. He, he came in with... I guess on the season, he came in with five carries. He had six against Kansas. That's pretty crazy. Uh, but he yeah, he's a good player. He's a good player. Five yards out of that. But, I mean, their, their, their normal starting running back, Vincent Davis, had 13 carries for 38 yards. As a team, they ran the ball 24 times for 95 yards. Like, that, that's yeah. really not I mean, that you would, much. you would take that to the bank every game. Oh, absolutely. Every game. Absolutely. So, you know, the run defense, especially for, for KU, which that always, uh, run defense hasn't always been a – true. I mean, uh, we, we made a whole segment out of it last year with rubber yeah. stamping whether or not they they got their they got their crap fixed. Yeah, and it was definitely better all throughout the year, but there were still yeah. games where they gave up 200, 250, or whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, 
I, I guess hypothetically, if the Pete Thamel report is right on Devin Neal being back, that would be a huge That's positive cool. to come from the game. Yeah. Because and honestly, though, you could argue that that would be bigger news than actually winning the bowl game. Yeah, and even though you look at the box score, Devin Neal, the, the, the stats will jump out at you. I think 71 yards on the ground and one touchdown. That dude was making some NFL-level runs like multiple on multiple occasions. With one of the vision, runs when they were backed up. Cutting. Yeah, they were at their own, like, uh, I don't know, like 10-yard line or something. Gets, yeah. He juked, like, four guys. And yeah. It was like a seven-yard run, but it was such an incredible run. Yeah. Yeah, so very impressive stuff. Even even though, again, you look at the stats and you think, oh, kind of a mundane game from him. You watch the film. That dude was making some some really, really nice plays, us- utilizing his vision, his cut, his cutting skills, and uh, evading defenders. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I, th- I think all those things would be positive. I, I think uh, Lance Leipold, even though he said in, in regards to Devin Neal, we'll get that postgame audio for you later in the show, that We'll let you hear from him on, on if he's coming back or not. I think he did say Luke Grimm is coming back, so I guess there is that positive, too. I think just in general, though, the idea of winning a bowl game, capping off your season, winning your ninth game, yep, that in yep. itself is yep. the biggest positive. It's, it's oh, the entire sure. team output. You know, the people maybe don't necessarily like bowl games or think that bowl games have lost their meaning or whatnot. I would urge you to look at, at, at basketball. In, in basketball, there's 368 teams. And guess what? Besides the NIT and the whatever and the CBE or whatever, CBI, the CBI, whatever, 365 teams are going to end their season with an L. <laughs> okay, there's something to be said about winning, even if it's just a you know guaranteed rate bowl, Armed Forces bowl, whatever bowl, winning to end your season, that's a good feeling, mm-hmm. regardless. Do you think there should still be bowl games once we get to a 12 team playoff? Yeah, I think so. I think so too. They definitely have the a place. They definitely have a place. Yeah, for sure. Maybe there will be even more opt-outs, and maybe eventually they will stop them. But I enjoy them, so whatever. All right, biggest negatives from the game. What sticks out? Tweet! Tweet! <laughs> Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait. Personal foul. 15 yards. we got to go back. Do it again. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> no replays. <laughs> yeah, obviously the, the penalty situation was, was not ideal uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, it slowed the game down. It it dragged it out. The game took four hours. It just, it. I mean, it's you know, it's the same old song and dance with when you have games that feature a lot of penalties. Is that it just kind of sucks the life out of the game in in a lot of situations. Uh, and then and then to your point, on top of that, on top of that, you know, for for half those penalties called against Kansas, the ref's mic wasn't even working, so you don't even know what the hell he's saying. <laughs> And he's just pointing in random directions. Oh, and then he, at one point, did you catch later in the game, he pointed in the wrong direction for a penalty at one point? Yes. That happened later in the game. So you got no mic. You got pointing in the wrong direction. You got 17 bajillion penalties. Yeah, it was, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, you won the yeah, game, okay. so who cares? They had 18 like, penalties for 216 yards. They came in with 55 penalties on the year. Yeah. That's second, they were second in the Big 12 in penalties. So basically, uh, they had a third of their total amount of penalties for the full 12-game season in one game. I meant to double-check this before we got to the segment. I'm pretty sure that's not the NCAA record. There's an NCAA record for more mm. penalty yards, I think. like I think the record's like 240 yards. I think this was a bowl game record. It was. It was. It was definitely a bowl game record. They had the guaranteed rate bowl record in the first half. Yeah, that's insane. Or at the, the end of the first half. That's crazy. Also, UNLV had nine for ninety-nine, which in a normal game would be like that's you had a lot, lot of penalties. Yeah, you know? that, that, that would that raised your eyebrows. Like Forty-five. Yeah, but yeah. that was that was less than half of what Kansas had. 
That's yeah. uh, absolutely so, insane. Uh, tweet, tweet. Yeah, that, that was for sure the biggest negative. I, I think the uh, broadcast honestly compounded it to make it worse. Yeah. Because, A, the broadcast, I, I don't think, was great production, but not no. showing replays yeah, on everything. I, I mean, you, you kind of – I hadn't even thought of that, about the fact that because it was at a baseball stadium, maybe that limited their capability to do stuff. But then the again, replays, but and that's just me like spitballing ideas. It's not like the Arizona Diamondbacks don't have replays. Yeah, I know. So I, I honestly don't have the answer to that. I, I also thought strange. the broadcast in general wasn't very good. I yeah, you had I'm pointed not somebody out. Who, you had pointed out the Jared Casey play. Yeah, so I, I'm not somebody who likes to like hop on broadcast. I think sometimes broadcasters like it, and, and maybe this is just me having a soft spot because you know I I kind of am in that trade of work as well. Um, I think sometimes they get a bad rap. Sometimes fans will get on a broadcaster for, oh, he's so biased for this team or that team because they're talking about the other team doing well. Or your team's down 14 and the other team has a guy who's you know gone for 200 rushing yards and they're just talking about the player over and over again, which in my mind I'm like, of course they are because it's the story of the game. The guy's 200 yards, you know what I mean? Uh, and I think that gets oversold sometimes. So I, I don't really care about that stuff. But it's, it's the lack of preparation for me. Um... That gets me where it's like clearly you did not prepare for this game. And I'm not asking, again, this is another thing where it's like, of course, like every every national broadcast isn't just for uh, your fan base. It's for the other fan base and it's for the national fan base. So, like, yeah. again, you're going to have stories repeated and certain things that that I understand, right? And, and to be clear, like, I was actually listening to the radio broadcast synced up with the TV for the first, like, two and a half quarters of the game. And I saw everybody complaining about the broadcast, so I decided, okay, I better switch over see what the people are talking about so I can talk about it tomorrow, right? Um, and, and I would just recommend doing the first thing that I was doing because it's a more enjoyable experience for you if that's what you're looking for. But anyway, neither here nor there. I uh, I, I was appalled with the lack of preparation. And again, you're never going to be as good of an expert as a lot of the fans are who are watching every game, but it is your due diligence to go and try. And when Jared Casey made that third down grab that gave him the first down, and the broadcast crew was appalled that, oh, the backup tight end, they would go to him in a key moment <laughs> as if Jared Casey is like this unknown name in college football lore right now who, who consistently, it, it seems like the only times he makes catches are in key moments of games. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the time that they exactly right. go to him. That is the folklore of Jared Casey. And then earlier in the game when they had like the, uh, they ran the wildcat play where they had, I, I oh, forget I if it was Devin Neal or Daniel too, yeah. Highshaw. They basically, it was the play, they did it uh, in a game earlier where yeah, basically Jason Bean steps to the side and it's a direct snap. And he becomes like the a, running back, again, gets handed the ball and yeah. he's basically the quarterback. Yeah. And the the color guy, I think Kirk Morrison was like, was like, uh, I thought they were lined up wrong, but then it <laughs> ended up working out okay. It's like, dude, they've been doing that the last four or five games. Like every <laughs> game, multiple times per game. Did you go back and watch any of their games before this? I don't know. That was that was uh, certainly a negative for me. Other other besides that, um, turnovers I, were tough. Turnovers were tough. Three turnovers bad interceptions. Tough. You got lucky. I mean, you didn't listen, lose a Jason fumble. Bean, you fooled me once. You fooled me twice. You fooled me almost three times. Yeah. On literally throwing the exact same interception, basically. He was feeling himself. The, the radio broadcast described the first interception in the end zone as a basketball player who had like thirty <laughs> points and just basically heat checked like a three from thirty five feet. He was, you know, he, he was kind of feeling yeah. himself. But, but yeah, the, I mean, the ones that on the sidelines, it was again, it was like, okay, you threw it once, fine. Yeah. Then you threw it again. It's like, okay, brother, like, come on. 
Throw it away. And then you got lucky you didn't lose either of the fumbles. Bean just kind of dropped the ball. It's fortunate <laughs> for KU that, that he picked it back up. <laughs> Daniel Highshaw dropped it. Kobe Baines was, was Johnny yeah. on the spot there. So, And yeah. then the other big thing was I'm a little bit worried about the pass rush headed into next year because Austin Booker was elite at pass rushing this year. You saw what it looked like without him. You only had one sack. It was on the corner blitz. You only had seven pressures, which a lot of games this year we talked about KU having yeah. 14, 15, 16, right? Yeah. Um, I think they only had like three tackles for loss. There were a couple good plays in there, like DJ Withers had a nice pressure. Uh, I think you had a, a pressure in there from like Patrick Joyner, and, and I thought he played a pretty good game. Um, Dylan Brooks really struggled. I think his PFF grade was around like the 30s to 40 range. He's somebody that maybe can break out next year, but still. Maybe you can have more in the portal. Like, obviously, you've already had Dylan Woodkey. Maybe another year of some of these guys. Maybe you have the freshmen coming in. There, There yeah. is an avenue for them getting better at it. Sure. But that was a little worrisome for me. Mm. Yeah, I. Uh, it's hard because in a lot of cases, you're like, well, does one guy really make or break your pass rush? And a lot of times he can because either he's the guy making the play or at the very least it's drawing attention to where you have more opportunities for other guys. And I think you did see sort of that missing. Uh, I am curious, though. So, Austin Booker not playing in the bowl game. He had, there's nothing been officially announced yet, but that all but guarantees he's not going to return. Correct? I would assume so. The fact he didn't travel with the team. I mean, there's no, I'm basically, there's no avenue. I don't know if that means that. he would go to the draft or transfer. I, I think if you're picking favorites, it would probably be to go to the draft. But, yeah, I, I feel like that, that, to me at least, Pretty much because I mean I don't. That that's there, be the case. there hasn't been a guy that's opted out of a bowl game to go to the NFL and then decided actually I want to come back. Sure, and I guess it is possible. Like, if we think back to a guy who had a big game in this one, L.J. Arnold. Remember when he entered the transfer portal in is that twenty one yeah. or twenty two? Can you do that for like a day? Can you, you do that this... with the draft? Like, can you be like I'm not with the draft. the draft? Not with the draft. And then I'm no, come back. no, no. I just mean uh, no. From that standpoint, it's not like the NBA draft. The NBA draft, you can go in, you can test, you can do all these things. If you're if you're in the NFL draft on the deadline, whenever that is, like middle of January, you're in. You're in for good. So I don't mean from that standpoint. I mean from a standpoint of we've seen it happen before where a guy was basically like, I'm going to leave, and then the staff is able to convince him to come back. Maybe you hold out hope that that would happen with Austin Booker, but yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I feel like the chip's probably sailed. All right, uh, biggest neutral for the game for KU. Biggest neutral. Oh, one thing I forgot to tell the biggest positives was uh, fans. A lot of KU fans there. So that was oh, cool. yeah. I mean, they said the, the attendance was 26,000. We asked Henry. He said 60-40. I thought it was bigger than that based it on bigger also. from what we saw. But they he said he was right by UNLV. So he said that probably skewed yeah. it for, yeah, for him a little bit. Yeah. Uh, shout, shout out KU fans. Good, good fan attendance. Um, biggest neutral. Yeah, I mentioned Devin Neal. Like, he made some really nice cuts and looked like an NFL runner, but at the end of the day, he did have 20 carries for 71 yards, which is kind of... Yep. Yeah, production-wise, it was, you know, one of the lower-end games for Devin Neal this year. And, and as you talked about, like, I don't think it was really his fault. I think it was more of a UNLV defense putting attention to that. I mean, it was the, obvious that UNLV wanted yes. to stop the run. And also, KU had more of a patchwork offensive line from what we're used to. Yeah. And I don't think it was a great... I, I think Pro Football Focus gave them, like, a 55 run block grade as, as a team for KU. So, like... I, I don't think it was his fault. I, th I think there were so many plays where he turned zero-yard gain into five yards, yeah. negative one yard into three yards, or, or you know two yards into seven yards. So I think he still had a good game. But, yeah, you're right. When you balance it with the production, it was more of a neutral game. So I, I think that's a good one. I would go with the offensive line. Uh, Pass-blocking grades on Pro Football Focus were really good. They were in the mid-70s. Run-blocking grades, as I just said, in the mid-50s. And 
still, you only gave up five tackles for loss. You only gave up one sack. Those are good. But also, there there were definitely some times that that players got beat or didn't you know get get a big hole in the run game. Um, so I I thought it was just kind of an average game overall. Yeah, then again, I, you could say they scored forty nine points. Yeah. So was it more of a positive? I felt like, from the offensive line perspective, I felt like going into it, there was not going to be a lot to be able to take away from that because you have it's it's, it's not going to be what you're going to have next year. Right, it, it's it's going to look a little different. I mean, you're you're probably going to have some shuffling or whatever how that's going to look. So, my my thoughts going into the game with the offensive line was we'll see what happens, but I don't want to be like, oh, if they have a bad game, that's bad, or if they have a good game, that's great. You know, I, I kind of felt like there wasn't going to be a lot to take away from that. Yeah, and and I don't know, maybe maybe there's there's not really much you can take away from it from the future. Um, especially because, like, I don't, I don't think yeah, Amaj Reed Adams forward. profiles to being a right tackle. I think he yeah. just is a guard. Um, well, I mean, listen, I understand you want big dudes right. at tackle, but Amaj Reed Adams is big. You want lengthy guys, he's wide. Yeah, right? He's not. Yeah. I think it was more of a the staff just being like, "Hey, he's been one of our six best linemen or seven yeah. best," and, and without and these two and guys, let's listen, get him on the field. Uh, Fuchs has talked a lot about that about how. It's not necessarily like they almost don't even view it as like positions. They just want the right. six, the five or six best linemen, and then they figure out where they play. Yeah, and so like next year, I could see Ford moving to center, and and Reed Adams and Baines are now your guards, and then your tackle spots are you know you have between three players, Clements, who I thought acquitted himself pretty well last night. Um, both pro football focus grades were like his pass block was sixty two, which not great, but uh, for a true freshman making his first start. On an island at left tackle. Yeah. Uh, pro football focus grades for college football, I should mention. 60 to 69 is like basically average starter. So, oh, and I, the big know, thing 65 for me. 65 run block, which was the best for KU offensive line. So I thought he did well. All the things big thing considered. for me with Clements was he, he didn't look out of place. Right. right? And that's. It didn't, it didn't look like he didn't belong on the field. And, and for a true freshman making his first start, you project him to get better. Yeah. For sure. I mean, that's a really good first performance uh, overall when, when you add in the context there. Yeah. Okay, uh, KU play of the game. I think there's going to be a lot to pick from here. Mm. There was Kobe Bryant interception, which was a great play. He came off yeah. the ball. I don't even think that was his guy. Yeah. And that was when it was 7-7. They were driving. They were at, like, the KU 25, so that halted a drive. Uh, and then, eventually, he took the uh, the charge from the, uh, ah, the offensive yes. lineman. But ah. KU got the penalty. <laughs> yeah, again, a weird, a weird sequence there that I don't fully know what happened. I don't either. Uh, pick your favorite receiver catch. Yeah. There was the 50-yard grab by Luke Grimm on 3rd and 10 on KU's on 34, nine minutes left in the second. Uh, there was the 15-yard touchdown by LJ Arnold mossing the guy in the corner of the end. Yep. So there were some great pictures of that. That, I think, is probably my okay. play of the game. That made it 21-7. Yeah. There was the 44-yard pass to Quentin Skinner kind of mossing the guy and catching kind also, of a bobble. Also, that was in double coverage. So that one, yeah. I think, it didn't score a touchdown, though. That's why I'm Got more two. That's why I'm more going with the, the Lawrence Arnold for, uh what was that? His, his first touchdown, I think. Yeah, that was his first. Yeah, and they yeah. had two. That was an there. awesome, awesome play. Uh, there was lots to pick from from the ninety-nine yard drive. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like this one's not going to be our pick, but I did want to at least mention it because it was a very important play. When Daniel Highshaw fumbled, the score is twenty-eight twenty-four. The ball was picked up at the KU thirty-four. If Kobe Baines does not recover that ball, UNLV has it right back. At your 34, 28, 24 with all the momentum. Yeah. That was huge for Kobe. And chances are they're not going to get the ball at the 35, uh, your 35, yeah. two times in a row and not score some kind of points. Yeah. And so for you to keep that, and then eventually it turns into a 90 yard yard touchdown drive, which can break their back, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, that was huge. Uh, then on second and 13 of that drive, Bean throws kind of a no, no, no across his body, <laughs> just goes over a uh, DB underneath. Mason Fairchild, nice catch in the middle. 
you had the Devin Neal 16-yard run on third and 17, which yep. we talked about earlier. Yep. If he gets 13 yards there, they're they probably punt. punting. Yeah. You know? 16 yeah. yards allows him to go for it. And then that allows the fourth and one deep ball to Lawrence Arnold, which was the play where it was like, run, run, run. Oh, it's wide open, right? You know, if you play with 10 guys, I think, on that play or something. I, I know. know. Then there was the uh, Lawrence Arnold 56-yard touchdown on the screen pass with big blocks from Luke Grimm and Quentin Skinner. There was the bean to Luke Grimm wide open 40, or no, I don't know if this one was wide open. Uh, the 43-yard touchdown on third and eight to put him up 49-30. Was that the one where it was like, a, that was the one where it might have been his best throw of the game, uh, I think, on, on the deep ball down the sideline. Yeah. And then uh, there was the third and 12 to Jared Casey to keep the clock moving with five minutes to go. You're up 13. That basically allowed you to ice the clock. Yeah, I like I said, I'm, I'm pretty partial towards that first Lawrence Arnold touchdown. Uh, I mean, just a, a ridiculous catch on a Jason Bean. I'm going to throw this up and pray. And Lawrence Arnold comes down with a, a phenomenal catch. As you said, there were some great pictures. Uh, the KU social media team, they're their or not social, I guess it would be their photography team. Mm-hmm. Some incredible shots throughout the whole game. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Lawrence Arnold on that touchdown. I if I was picking catch of the game, I would go with the Lawrence Arnold touchdown. But since it's the full play of the game, I, I don't think anything to me is more, I guess, indicative of the spirit of this receiver group, which to me was the MVP of the game, and this team, than that screen touchdown pass by Lawrence Arnold. You had the collective effort. Collective effort. You had a great initial block by Luke Grimm and Quentin Skinner. Lawrence Arnold breaks a couple tackles, so you have a, a, a great team effort. You have a great individual effort, and then you have Quentin Skinner still hustling down after the first initial block with Luke Grimm and going to just hustle his way down the field that there's one guy that might have been able to stop Lawrence Arnold at like the 5 or 10-yard line. He gets just enough of them Arnold into the end zone. Yeah. And for that whole receiver core collectively, an unbelievable season. You look at it statistically – Luke Grimm, 550 yards. That doesn't jump off the page at the end of the year. No. But for my money, Luke Grimm was one of the top 10 receivers in the Big 12 this year. Same with Lawrence Arnold. Same with Quentin Skinner. In fact, yeah. pro football focus grades have all three of them at least coming in the bowl game, top 11 in the Big 12 at their position. Yeah. So none of the numbers stick out, but they sacrifice, and I think that's what was so fitting about this game. They sacrificed all season for a team that's balanced, for a team that throws to everyone, for a team that runs the ball a lot, for a team that plays slower tempo, so less plays, and they all had big games. And they all had big games, and and that was the position that that took over. So for me, it's the uh, screen pass touch. Yeah, and real quick, that play by Quentin Skinner. I mean, that is the play that coaches around the country should be showing about. Yeah. When you're when you're trying to block somebody, even just getting a little bit, tiny bit, that that can be the difference between a guy getting tackled and a guy going for a touchdown. And KU's four highest graded run blockers, all receivers. Yeah, all receivers: Doug Emelian, Luke Grimm, Quentin Skinner, and. Uh, Maybe it was top three. I don't know. Maybe Arnold was fourth. I I forget. Anyway, all right, that's our KU takeaways. We'll get to our heroes and villains coming up at 5.05. We've got some KU football audio coming at you next. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We'll get to our KU football heroes and villains segment coming up at the 5 o'clock hour. Um, And don't forget, if you missed anything from today, you can find it with the best of RCST podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. 
Brought to you by Massage Envy, now available at KUSports.com. KU wins 49-36 to over UNLV in the Guaranteed Rate Bowl. And we've talked about this uh, through the show, that it is a cool and fitting moment that Jason Bean and Kenny Logan get to go out like this with yeah. how much they've meant to the program and everything like that. I, I did see some KU fan- fans mentioning this from after the game. Uh, I guess quick thought on this. Jason Bean and Kenny Logan's candidacy for getting in the ring of honor. Mm. I think Kenny Logan probably has it. I mean, so he was, was he second team all the way 12 this season? And he was second team this year. Second honorable team mention in the year before. One, I think. I thought he was first, first team, team maybe. Twenty twenty one. Let me go back and look. Because he was preseason first team in twenty twenty two. I think. Yeah, maybe I'm, it, it gets so confusing with the preseason. Okay, he was. Uh, he was preseason. I, I don't care about the preseason stuff though. Um, <laughs> okay, so he was second team this year. Yep. He was honorable mention in twenty twenty two. He was. All Big 12 second team on Pro Football Focus in 2021, second team in the coaches in 2021. Okay. And he was All Big 12 on the AP first team in 2021. Mm. And then he was also All Big 12 honorable mention as a kick returner in 2020. Yeah, I think he's definitely got a case for it. I, I would expect him to probably be in. And he's all time leading tackler for DBs and yeah. fifth all time now. With Jason Bean, it's. It becomes a little bit more murky. I mean, I've been a huge proponent of Jason Bean throughout his entire career at Kansas. I, I think uh, he's been phenomenal. You know, he's been a guy that we've – I mean, it's it's been so cool to watch the evolution of not just a guy playing, but also just just per, him personally, right, his evolution as a KU football player. But I don't know. So he's what? I think he's now – is he second in touchdown passes? Second in touchdown passes. Passed Carter Stanley by one on the last one. Uh, he is seventh in passing yards. He also has two individual top 10 passing touchdown seasons and two, or, or I think one individual top 10 passing yard seasons. And then if you add in the rushing stats and the rushing yards, yeah. or the rushing touchdowns, it gets a little better. Yeah, I think it's easy to say the day after the guaranteed rate bowl that he you could probably make a case for him, but I wonder if in a couple of years it'll be, hey, you know, this was a guy that was was did a fantastic job at, at what he needed to do and sort of a passing of the torch for KU into what we what we think and what we hope is this new era of KU football going forward. Ring of Honor, eh, I'd have to go through and look at all the names they have on the Ring of Honor right now and see if there's guys that maybe... Well, are. the one that makes it tough for me is like Bill Whittemore is not in the Ring of Honor. Yeah, and exactly. I, and I think there's some similarities there. Bill Whittemore helped KU go to a bowl game in 03. Now, they didn't win nine games and they didn't win the bowl game, but he was a two-year quarterback after coming in from JUCO. Okay, Jason Bean got three years, but because he was a backup, he basically was two years worth of production, right, for KU. And Whittemore in his two years at KU played in 19 games, had 4,051 yards, dual-threat quarterback. He had 29 passing touchdowns, 21 rushing touchdowns, so 50 total touchdowns in two years. Jason Bean had, um, let's see, he had nine rushing touchdowns to go with the 30, so 47 total touchdowns. Uh, Whittemore had 12 interceptions, Bean had 17. I think you could argue that they're kind of similar there. I I think there's a difference between uh, Jason Bean is, He's a, belo- is a very a, good player. A beloved, beloved quarterback player. and certainly yes. a guy that goes down in the lore of Kansas football. But, again, it, maybe not as – I mean, uh, to me, I think his legacy is going to be uh, a guy who battled through adversity, persevered, and and really set the stage and, and was, like I said, that sort of yes. passing of the torch of, okay, 
now we go into this new era of KU football beyond beyond that. And who knows? Maybe if if you know, because like is nobody. I don't think anybody right now is clamoring for Carter Stanley to be in the Ring of Honor. No, it right. was just one season. Well, and also they didn't have the team success. I, I do think there is an alternate universe where Jason Bean doesn't get injured in the Kansas State game in 2021, and maybe Jalen Daniels never becomes the quarterback, and maybe with those extra starts and extra games, maybe Jason Bean, this is a hands-down or maybe Or maybe if Jason right? Bean is healthy in 2023 and KU beats Kansas, sure. or and Kansas KU beats State. Kansas State in Lawrence. You get those extra games with that game and the rest of the Texas yeah, Tech game. Yeah, maybe you win 10 games or 11 games. This yeah, season. then maybe it is. Uh, and, and maybe uh, there is that world where it's there, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know quite now. All right, anyway, uh, here is Lance Leipold, Jason Bean, and Kenny Logan after the bowl game being presented their MVP awards and the uh, guaranteed rate bowl trophy. We've got some hardware to hand out. Joining me here on stage, some of the wonderful people that have made this bowl happen, representing guaranteed rate. Board Chair Randall Norton, Executive Director and CEO Eric Moses, as well as Guaranteed Rate Chief Fulfillment Officer Rola Guerreri. Randall, will you please make the first presentation? Indeed. Well, first of all, uh, on behalf of the Guaranteed Rate Bowl and our Board of Directors, congratulations to UNLV for an amazing season. Coach Odom has done a great job turning around that program. But it is my pleasure to uh, obviously present this year's Guaranteed Rate Bowl uh, trophy to Coach Leipold and also the Kansas Jayhawks. Yes. Raise it up! Good luck with that. Be careful with that thing. <laughs> Congratulations on this win. It was so hard fought, back and forth. What did it take to get this thing done? Well, again, I, I'm really proud of our team. And I want to first of all say thank you to all our fans for coming out and really appreciate Jayhawk Nation. You know, our, our guys battled. It was a game. It wasn't our cleanest game by, by any stretch of the imagination. But we were able to create some big plays on both sides of the ball when we needed them. This guy to my left just had an outstanding day throwing the ball. Again, Kenny Logan coming up big again. And I'm so proud of this group from where we were 30 months ago to where we are now. I know you talked last year about how disappointing it was to walk away from that bowl game without a win. What does it do for your program and this group of guys to leave bowl champions today? Well, take a look at their faces, how proud they are, how happy they are. They, these guys have put a lot of work in, overcome so much. And again, it helps make another statement for where this program is going in its future. Congratulations. Thank you very much. First bowl win since 2008. And now we have some individual awards to give out, don't we, Eric? That's right. So we want to recognize the offensive MVP of the game who set a new guaranteed rate bowl record with six touchdown passes, Jason Bean. Yes, keep it going. For the last game of your college career to end with a bowl win, the first bowl win for this program since 2008, how impactful is that to you? Uh, yeah, it's everything. Um, you know, I set out three years ago to get this accomplished, and you know, we finally did it. And I just want to say thank you to everybody in this building that has you know supported this team and and you know everything that they've done for us. And um, you know, I'm forever thankful for everything. What can you tell me about the connection that you had tonight to Luke Grimm and Lawrence Arnold? Because your six touchdowns, three of them went to those two guys each. Yeah, I mean, we've been we've had that connection all year, and um, you know, it was nothing different this night and uh, tonight. And um, you know, I just can't thank them enough, and um, you know, I'm just very blessed. 
enjoy this moment. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, and now for now for our defensive MVP, Kenny Logan Jr., safety with eight tackles. All-time leader at the position in tackles adds eight more tonight. And this defense, it felt like every moment that you guys needed to make a play, you were able to come up big when you needed it. Why? Uh, just all the preparation for my teammates, helping me get uh, ready all week, the great scout looks we had. Uh, you, you can't do it without those guys. So I just want to say thank you to my team and thank you to these great fans. You've seen the highs and lows of this program. What does it mean to be able to bring a bowl victory to Kansas this year? Uh, this is what I sought out to do when I came to the university is just turn around, uh, and now we're finally doing it. It's a great feeling. I can't wait to celebrate with my brothers. Go do it. Congratulations. Thank you. All right, that was Kenny Logan along with Jason Bean before him and Lance Leipold before him uh, up at the stage on the middle of the field when KU was celebrating their bowl victory and the MVPs for both guys. Certainly fitting for uh, both players. All right, let's get to the KU football heroes and villains segment coming up at the 5 o'clock hour and some press conference audio after that. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. Two hours down, one to go. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on KLWN, 5 o'clock hour, and we'll get to some more KU audio coming up later. But first, we got to do our KU football heroes and villains segment for the KU-UNLV game. Let's start with the offensive side of the ball. Who are the heroes for the KU offense? Yeah, I mean, I think it's got to be Luke Grimm and uh, Lawrence Arnold, right? I mean, those two guys really, really carried KU in the passing game. Jason Bean made some great throws to get him the ball, but those dudes were making the catches, right? They were electric. And, uh, I mean, you can really say the entire wide receiver room, right? Uh, you know, Quentin Skinner, who we touched on as well, made some great catches. Doug Emelian had some big blocks that we touched on. Uh, so those two guys specifically, but the entire wide receiver room, I think has got to be the number one hero, right? I certainly think so. I mean, those two guys alone, that's 10 catches from Grimm and Arnold for 292 yards and six touchdowns. That is... Uh pretty incredible is that good yes it is uh also skinner two for 80 and the contested catches the unbelievable plays they made that you know whether it's turning a screen pass into a touchdown or turning a 50 50 ball into a 50 yard catch or you know mossing someone they're absolutely the heroes of this game without a doubt yeah yeah um i, I think jason bean probably deserves a little bit of credit here too oh, for sure yeah Nine, he's the guy making QBR. Yeah. He's the guy making the throws. I thought kind of midway through it wasn't a great game for him because uh, the three interceptions, but then he finished with three touchdowns to, to rattle things off. Finished with sixteen yards of throw, and uh, he does get credit for throwing a catchable 50-50 ball and, and knowing when to take those one-on-one shots. And there was that one beautiful deep yeah, ball. Yeah, he knows when to touchdown. take those one-on-one shots every time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> By the way, uh, I, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, your your game prop for the game in our KU football game picks. Did you know about this? Uh, which which one was it? You took Jason Bean over rushing yards. Oh, oh no, I do know because he, he was like one yard short, right? It was it two was like twenty two and a half. He finished with twenty one. Yeah, because the last play he lost. Oh, he took like a knee. Four, oh yards. man, I didn't realize that. Yeah, pretty tough. Uh, that's brutal. Yeah, yeah. No, I knew I knew it was close because I actually had a friend who was also I think had had uh, wagered on that and uh, was getting I was getting some some texts about it and uh, yeah I, I knew I knew it was close but I mm-hmm. never actually. I went back and checked to see what he finished with. So Yeah. But, yeah, I, I don't even know if you can have an argument for really anybody else because those guys were just so good. You yeah. kind of have to go I mean, with them. I don't know. You want to you you say Jim Zabrowski, play calling? 
Yeah, good. that's a good one. You know, he could be a hero. Kept things going. Sure. Yeah. What about the defensive side of the ball? Kobe Bryant had the one sack of the game, had an interception. Craig Young had an interception. Kenny in Logan obviously ended up winning the uh, winning the the MVP, the defensive MVP for the and game. Logan led the team in tackles, so, also had a uh, TFL and a pass deflection. Yeah, you got to look at those guys. I mean, Kobe Bryant probably could have easily made a case for defensive defensive MVP considering the impact of the plays that he made. Mm-hmm. You mentioned his one sack. Not only was it the only sack K you had, but it came at a very, very critical moment after a turnover by Kansas that set UNLV back when they had the ball at the 35-yard line of UNLV of Kansas, and they ultimately didn't score off that. And then you think about his interception also, in which UNLV was driving at that time. So I mean, the two big, the two big plays that he made were very significant in terms of the how the game unfolded as well. So he's probably my number one hero, to be honest, because I think with those two plays alone, he probably saved Kansas at least 14 points. You look at the scoreboard; they won by 13. No. Yeah, I also would like to throw uh, – I, I thought the interior defensive line played well against the run. I think that's a big reason um, you didn't give up a huge game running the football. Uh, I think KU had five defensive tackles who were graded 60 to, like, 67 or something on PFF, which that's basically an average starter. But if you have five of them, that's a good rotation you, to yeah, have. Yeah, exactly. You're rotating guys in, and you're, there's no drop-off in play. DJ right? Withers stood out to me. He had a couple nice run stops. He had a, had a pressure. Patrick Joyner had, had a nice pressure at a tackle. Craig Young was actually the highest-graded defender on PFF uh, hmm. for KU. He had like an 86, 87 grade. I, I would go with Kobe Bryant, though. That, that interception was a really nice play. Reading the, the eyes of the quarterback, coming off maybe his receiver and uh, fielding that ball, and then yeah, that that sack was gigantic. So that would be my pick, also. Yep. Special teams, the not an obvious one. The left upright, the left upright for allowing it to still go in. <laughs> the left upright. So Damon Greaves had one punt, two punts. Oh, two punts for thirty-three and a half yards. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I will say Damon Greaves has perfected the art of ensuring that there's no return on his punts. Sure. But the problem is he only punts them like thirty-five yards. <laughs> Well, the first one, I, I think he, it was only a 30-yard punt, so it was not a good punt in general, but I, I think KU like blew a block because there was a UNLV guy who just ran straight to the ball that got untouched, and he yeah. almost blocked it. So, Oh, I do remember that. Yeah, I do remember that. I, I guess he does get credit for getting it away and avoid it being a punt block. Yeah. Seth Keller was 7-7 on PATs. Mm. Well, again, because of the upright. So I think the sure. left upright deserves some credit here. Uh, Trevor Wilson had one return for 11 yards. I also thought, though, that he should have fielded the two punts. They hit like the ten, and they rolled to the two and the one. Yeah, again, I don't, I don't understand why UNLV's caught it. I don't understand why UNLV's punter just became Ray Guy. That, that didn't make any sense to me. I was really, I was really annoyed by that. Yeah, I mean, it'd be an obvious pick if, if we were picking UNLV. It'd, it'd be him. <laughs> Would be the, he had three punts. He averaged fifty three yards a punt, and two of them ended inside the two yard. And again, I was told that their kicker was the All American. I know. That's not what I saw. It, it seemed like the punter. punter. Um. I think you just have to by default go Kenny Logan for special teams hero. He had five kick returns for 103 yards. Yeah, yeah, not bad, not bad. I'm sticking with the left upright. Ooh, what about Devin Neal? No, he I'm had the one that. kick return that they like squibbed, and it was kind of a loose ball on a top oh, spot, and he, he just fell covered. on it. Yeah, that could have easily been disaster moment. No, left upright. Okay, left, left upright. upright. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, who are the villains? Tweet, good amount. Tweet, tweet. <laughs> Wait, hang on. Personal foul. Go back 15 yards. Try that again. Uh, yeah, number one villain. The refs. Uh, the refs. The refs' mic's not working. <laughs> the, yeah, that was another. No replay to see <laughs> no the calls from the refs. You know, and that's that one is obviously not specifically the refs' fault, but it still compounds the frustration for sure. Uh, yeah, so that was tough. It slowed the game down. It took some of the energy out of the game. 
Lance Leipold was calling for a new crew at halftime, uh, which I, I don't, I'm assuming that's never been done before, that a coach has gone and said, can we get a new crew at halftime? I'm assuming that's never been done before. I don't know. Uh, so that was pretty crazy. Uh, but by the way, Ken, so obviously in the NFL, we just saw it with Andy Reid, the NFL will fine you. Is there any repercussions? Like, would the because and I was thinking about this. It's not a it's not a conference game. So if it was like a Big Twelve conference game, I think the Big Twelve could come in and say, "Hey, don't don't bash our refs." But it's a bowl game. So is there is there any possible repercussions for a comment like that? I don't like think that? you can get fined for it. I don't think right? so either. I don't know. Maybe there is. Maybe the Big Twelve is just like, "Hey, we don't want you setting that precedent," so they'd fine him anyway. Yeah, I don't know. Because it's, it's a it's it, you know I don't know what I don't I honestly don't know what because comp- you know normally how it works is they bring in refs from different conferences to do different games, uh, for bowl games. I don't know what where those refs normally come from. I don't either, to be completely honest. But yeah, that that was atrocious, man. It it killed the vibe of the game and and it was really brutal. I think the broadcast itself, which which I think part of those go hand in hand, the lack of replays, the sure I don't, I don't know some of the things that uh, we talked a little bit about that earlier. That itself was yeah. was a villain here. I noticed the field did not look very good to me. You think the field sneaky is a villain? Nobody really slipped and fell on it mm. though, so yeah, that's the thing. I, I don't think it really played in, into it. Yeah, it was hard to tell. I what about the UNLV social media person? Yeah, so you never see this from like the team run. Account. I saw this tweet and I literally thought it was a fake parody tweet, like a fake parody account tweet. And what's wild is it's not deleted. It hasn't been deleted yet. It's still up. Yeah. So uh, point, if you want to stand up, read the people. It, yeah. It's uh, this was UNLV. Ku use this is literally the the UNLV like, official like, Twitter account. Yes. UNLV football. Ku uses an uncalled push off to get a big play downfield and then finds the end zone to make it twenty-one to seven. <laughs> that was their tweet. Yeah. That that yeah. You just say it's twenty-one-seven, or just you know. I mean, Dude, you can't do that as the official account. Yeah, what are we? So that that's villainry right there. Um, villainry, that's a good word. I like that. Yeah. Villainry. If we had to pick a UNLV player, there's a couple ways you could go with this. Ricky White did Moss. Kobe Ricky Bryant. White had he a good Moss, game. Moss Kobe Bryant at one point. Uh, the DeJesus kid, receiver, running back. He, he had good. a good game and he, yeah, was, he was tough good. to bring down. Yeah, he was those good. those players would be the villain from a standpoint of just somebody who did well against you. Yeah. From again, the word villainry here. Did you see the one play where Quentin Skinner? Tried to catch a ball. It was a little bit out of his reach to the sideline. I forget what quarter it was in. Unable to hold on to it. At this point, KU was already winning. And unable to hold on on what would have been a tough grab anyway. And he's like falling to the ground out of bounds. And as he's getting up, number 51 on UNLV. Probably some like walk-on long snapper. Literally goes in his face and gives him a Matumbo (laughs) finger wag. As KU's receivers are eviscerating the UNLV DBs. All right, here's what I'll say. That is, yeah. Earlier when this first got announced... I, I hated it that K was going to play UNLV because I was like, dude, they're going to play him again in September of next year on the non Oh, now there's stupid. some juice to it. Now I'm like, this is awesome because there's clearly some animosity here, and now I'm like, I'm actually very fired up to play UNLV again, which I did not think that would be the case. Yeah, that's good. So uh, number 51 deserves uh, a villain for, for that. Also number one at the end of the game when KU was just trying to wait to kneel it down for the clock to hit zero so there wasn't another play and he didn't yeah. get that. Yeah. And everybody else is just like, okay, we're chill. And he just kind of runs in and tries to give. Yeah, that's one last always lick that's always like to me. That's always kind of a gray area because there's so many coaches that would be like, play to the whistle, play to the whistle. Sure. You know, try to make a play. But there's you know like certain situations like that where it's like, okay, you know, it's fine. You don't have to play to the whistle. Mm-hmm. It's it's cool. Yeah. So those would be my villains. I'm going number 51 though. You can't do that as like a, a walk on probably long snapper sitting on the bench while your defense and DBs are getting eviscerated. 
no. Tweet, tweet, tweet. I'm sticking with the refs. Yeah, that's a good one. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Let's get to some KU football audio next with RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter. RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of the day and see you next podcast.